Apple presents events at the Apple Store. All right, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome this evening's guest moderator, Allison Bales, film critic. Hello. <laughs> Hi, everyone. Um, thank you so much for coming out tonight. Uh, I guess you're all excited to see the new film, Cymbeline, uh, directed by Michael Almereda, written by some guy called William Shakespeare. I hear he's big. Um, those of you who missed, you know, Cymbeline in uh, English class, we're going to watch the trailer now so you can all, you know, remember what it was, it's about. Show the trailer. Michael Almereda, and actor, and I just found out musician, Penn Badgley. Hi, guys. Hello. Thanks for being here. Oh, wow, this is amazing. The trailer is super tense, exciting, <laughs> sexy. Yeah. Who said Shakespeare is, uh, you know, old-fashioned? Nobody. Only Shakespeare <laughs> no. said that. Um, Michael, you and I go way back. Way back. Uh, I interviewed you for Hamlet in 2000. Um, why return to Shakespeare, simply? I should be ready for that question. Um, and I kind of am. I, I sort of want to put a spin on it because I don't... I find Shakespeare really exciting and, and there's a great tradition of doing movies based on Shakespeare. But it's really hard to raise the money. So it's almost a practical question because it's, it's a kind of self-torture to try to get a movie like this made. And the script was written in 2009. The play was written in the 1600s, you might know. But the, all the dialogue in the movie comes directly from Shakespeare. I don't want to scare you away, but it does. Except for a few lines that they featured in the trailer, which come from Emily Dickinson. And they, they, they don't know that, obviously, the trailer people. But um, I threw in some Emily Dickinson for good luck. 
The, um, I could just keep not answering the question, I guess, for a long time. The, the play, if, how many of you know the play Cymbeline? Nobody? No, one. One, that's great. I do, Two. I do now. Three. No, you don't. <laughs> it's long, it's sprawling, it's, it's convoluted, and it's also thrilling. And part of the fun of it is how it mixes different tones and it kind of spoofs itself. And it also has great depth and characters who are going through a lot of pain and suffering, but who, who uh, come out the other end of it with a spectacular happy ending. So there's something redemptive. It's spectacular about spectacular happy ending. It's sort of about forgiveness and redemption and um, starting over. So that seemed exciting to me. But you say, you know, hard to raise the money, but, you know, Baz Luhrmann made it big, Kenneth Branagh's done Shakespeare successfully. Those are the only two, I think, that made money off of it. Um, it's a big number, two. Was, I yeah. think O did well, oh. the, the modern retelling but of Othello. But was Othella. that Shakespeare? Was that, that wasn't his line? That was in yeah. his words. Yeah. I'd say there's a huge they, difference. Well, true. You know, it just, was just, just an, yeah, it was just the story. But, in in um, case anyone out there is thinking of giving me money to make another one, I'm going to discourage you because it's a bad business bet. There really are only those two movies, so people keep doing it. Coriolanus, I think, was a huge failure, though I like that movie enormously. Did anyone see that? And Titus? That was a flop, yeah. yeah. But, but yeah, they, good. They, they all look amazing, and people like them later, but they're flops at the right. time. Right. Well, so money-wise, so that's flops. what we're doing. Yeah. <laughs> so we're at Clearly, <laughs> actors want to tradition. do them. Penn, can you speak to that? Did you know Cymbeline? Because, like, I'll pretend that I'd read it, but I hadn't. Yeah, I, no, had, no, no. I don't know this play. I just no, know I'm, the movie now. I did not know the play, and I, um, but I read the script at the time, having not read the play, and and it was. I I was attracted to to the role of posthumous because he's a. I think in the context of 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 the time and if and and most productions, most um, theatrical productions of this play tend to be on the on the lighter sort of comical, more absurd side. So the role of posthumous, I'm not really sure where he would fall there, but I think in this one, he, he, he really is a, he's a dangerously um, uh, unstable, psychotic study, at least for the time being of the film. You know, he's supposed to be this sort of, this, this god among men, this incredible guy, but, but uh, you don't ever see that. You really just see him. Um, spiraling downward into into murderous rage, really, and not for great, not for like the greatest cause. He's, he's not, vulnerable. He, yeah, he's, he's well. He's. I think he. There's a lot of Romeo about him in that Penn's character, Posthumus, is in a sort of you know unrequited love situation where you know your your family keeps you apart. The the father. Yeah. Of, Exile. The, the woman he loves doesn't want him marrying his daughter. So there's that going on. But there's also this Othello-like jealousy, I think, in, in your character. Yeah, well, so I mean, I, what people say about Cymbeline is that it's a bit, it's, it's many of Shakespeare's themes and characters rolled into one play. And with Posthumous, it is, it's a, it's a combination of Romeo and Othello. And, and then it points, well, not Iago, I guess that's Iacomo. But, but Ethan he, but, Hawke plays Iago. Yeah, Ethan Hawke <laughs> is Iacomo, and he's great in that. Uh, so talking of Ethan Hawke, we're going to look at the clip of Penn with Ethan Hawke, who the dialogue in this scene is so juicy. Um, and I love it when actors bring out the modernity of Shakespeare and you can see how it fits any generation, any century. Can we watch that, that clip? The ring is one. Your lady being so easy. Uh, if, if you can make it apparent, would you have tasted her in bed? My hand and ring 
are yours. If not, the foul opinion you had of her pure honor gains or loses your sword or mine. First, her bedchamber, where I confess I slept not, but profess had that which was well worth watching. Some of the, some of the lines relating to sex, I was like, did Shakespeare, did they really, did he write that? Like, I know, it's almost pornographic, some of it. Not quite yeah. there, but yeah. Some of the, the stuff, well, with Ethan Hawke. Yeah, the, When he's talking about Dakota Johnson's character, you're like, wow, was, did I miss that? You know, and it was, how did you approach the text? I mean, did you, because, you know, people struggle with Shakespeare. This is what we hear all the time. People struggle with watching it, listening to it, acting it. I imagine it's, it's not easy. Well, I think on the stage, there's the meter to be had. There's the iambic pentameter, pentameter and all that. But, but I, I didn't bother with that. I think on film, particularly in this context, the way that Michael was adapting it, um, the, the most important thing was for us to understand what we're saying. And that's, and that's not that difficult if you just take the time to read it and be with it. It's, it's, it's beautiful language and it's very specific and it's old, but it's not shrouded in secrecy. It's not some kind of like... Um, code. Code, yeah. So why is there this big mystique about it that you know, only trained British actors can do it? I, I, think, I think it's because people are lazy. You know, they, uh, not not to sound judgmental, I guess. I mean, I at a time I was too lazy to read Shakespeare, but then I got off my ass and I read Shakespeare. <laughs> it's, it's not it's not that difficult, and it's and it's really rewarding. I think that's the thing is that is that the second you begin to understand it, I mean, his command of the language is so great that that your own imagination is led by the hand down a path m more specific. Uh, uh, and fruitful than it would when you're reading like, you know, I don't know, some Clancy novel or something. It's just, it's just there's, there's, there's so much there to be had and, he, and, he, and he, it gives you so much. So, I mean, as an actor, when you're exploring it, it just takes that even further. You're not just reading it, you're bringing it to life. So, you, so, so you're exploring the dimension and depth of it. I mean, the thing about Shakespeare is he's more like a prophet because he, not only was he prolific, but his texts are, they're being explored hundreds of years later and people still haven't re plumbed all there is to, to get, so. Well, what's so great, though, is that, you know, this scene that we just saw, the, you know, the information is, is on the iPad and the skateboard, and it works so well, you think, uh, well, that's when you start thinking, how much did you change? But you're telling me you didn't change stuff, but it, it totally works. Well, it's just a matter of trimming it and trying to understand how Shakespeare's language and the story can interact with the current moment. And, and I like that tension and that duality, that interplay, because there's a great book for anyone who feels like reading a book um, called Shakespeare, Our Contemporary. And it's, it presents the idea that Shakespeare's always contemporary, that any generation, he's been on the shelves for 400 years and he's been in, He's never been out of fashion or out of print. He's never been not produced on stage. There's no other writer with that kind of... You can't say that about anyone in the English language. And so there's something miraculous going on, but part of the miracle is that the plays are like mirrors and they reflect whoever is looking into them, whatever generation, whatever kind of passion you have or kind of concerns, political, personal, it's all in these plays. So this, this play happens to have a lot to do with 
relationships between men and women. It's, it's being sold as a motorcycle shootout movie, and there are some guns, and there are some motorcycles. Which it has. Yes, yes. Hurry, go Which see it. Has. But, but it's also deeply and in a troubling and fascinating way, it's about men who don't trust women. I, I've been saying that it's like, to me, out of the Shakespeare I've read, it is, while maybe not, I mean, to, to judge it as like the best or to rate it is not, not my job, but, uh, but I think it's his most explicit indictment of misogyny and male culture, patriarchy, uh, particularly through my character, which, which, which made it such a sticky kind of thing. But it's, um, I mean, the, the way that he dissects the male ego and then quashes it and sort of strings out all the intestines of it. It's really, it's painful to, I mean, it's painful to, to, to participate in and to watch, I but think. But you get and forgiven. Shakespeare yeah, right. forgives you. That's right, Shakespeare does forgive him. You don't but get I, killed, I think there's absurdly. also a nice parallel to be drawn uh, with the, you know, the cell phone culture that we live in and online bullying and how cell phones can be used to influence people and to, you know, because posthumous, Penn's character is shown evidence that his girlfriend has cheated on him and it's fake evidence that was gathered on a phone. Yeah. And I, that, that spoke to me as something very timely as well. Let's look at, I know you don't want to dwell on the car chases and the, and, and the well, we should dwell Let's on the car chases. Let's go for it, yeah. yeah. We're going to look at the clip well. of uh, the car chase. Be cheerful. Wipe thine eyes. Some falls are means the happier to arise. Uh, it was a king of the uh, Britons back in Roman times. Why did you update it to a motorcycle gang in contemporary America? The play is a kind of mashup, and it has three time frames, kind of incongruous time frames fused. There's pre-Christian England, there's ancient Rome, and there's Renaissance Italy. 
and the main, but the, motor, the motorcycle game, gang seemed like a parallel for the kind of primitive tribal culture that the play is about. And it seemed pretty seamless and direct. And it's set during Halloween. The movie is set during Halloween. And throughout the movie, it's like Halloween all the time. There's a sense of, of um, death hovering and cheerfully hovering. But you know, part, there's an embrace of death and also a powerful sense that um, things are out of control. There's a kind of chaotic, passionate series of misunderstandings. So it just felt that if you translate it into the moment, you could channel it in that direction. That way it just seemed appropriate. And it was, it was written before a little, mo a little TV show called Sons of Anarchy. So I wasn't really thinking of that. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Um, let's talk about your cast, because like you said, it, it's hard to get these films made, but clearly it's not hard to attract great actors. Um, Ed Harris, Ethan Hawke. I Ethan, Ethan was the first person aboard because we're friends and he's the first person I showed it to and I basically said you can take your pick of which part you'd like and he chose the villain. And it had been about 15 years since we did Hamlet and he was the youngest person to play Hamlet in a movie at 27. And he's done a bit of Shakespeare since, so he had more agility, more confidence. But um, Iacomo, if, if you know anything about the play, there's the, the scene that people remember, tend to remember, is when Iacomo, having made this wager with Posthumus, who's, who's more gullible and um, his pride is kind of his weakness, he's, conf he's so confident of his girl's, girlfriend's virtue. His, it's actually, it's his wife. They're married. Um, He's so confident and prideful that the older man sees his insecurity, recognizes, and he goes, he, he introduces this gamble, this wager that um, he succumbs to. And Ethan's character finds a way to smuggle himself into a box into Imogen's bedroom. And that's the famous, probably the most famous scene in the play. And we translate it into a kind of instrument box, the kind of big case you get if you're a musician. For an amp. For an amp, an amp case, yeah. But it, it, I think actually the, the expression "jack in a box" comes from Iacomo coming out of the box. Really? Really? That's really? what I heard. Wow. Yeah, yak. yak. Now I'm assuming. So, someone should Google it. We were wow. But, I'm but, sure someone will do that right now. So anyhow, Ethan Ethan chose that part, and then I I knew. Ed and Harris. then you called me, and I and yeah. I, I chose posthumous, <laughs> and I was like that. <laughs> and you I was, could, you I was could very lucky. That was a part of the job, right? You I, I could skate a little, yeah, so I skated a bit. Penn came in with his skateboard, and that was simple. Yeah. I skated to meet Michael. With, uh, yeah. He wore the skateboard on his head. It was a choice head. that I made. So like, you got the part. <laughs> um, I assume, <clears throat> one should never assume, but I am going to assume that you did not have a large budget and that you had to shoot this quickly. Um, so, yes? No? Yes. 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 Assumed accurately. Yeah. yeah, yeah um, very much. So for you, Penn, was there a lot of pressure? I mean, or did... It was one you, of the toughest when, first days Ethan ever had. So yeah, yeah, Ethan was, said that as well. I mean, it was one of the toughest first days I think any of us had, had endured because uh, basically eight pages of Shakespearean dialogue between myself and Ethan Hawke and, and, we're tra and we're trading blows and he's essentially telling me that he slept with my wife when he hasn't. But because of that, I've basically, I've committed to, um, I first commit to killing him, and then when I realize that I don't want to do that, I commit myself to killing her, and I storm off with my skateboard to go, um, to go presumably kill her. And it's, it, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a really, it's very intense. And, and um, it's a bit of an absurd, an absurdly pivotal point for the character of Posthumus. I have to go from you know, only languishing moderately to, uh, to 
to truly to truly murderous. So I suppose yeah, was there pressure? That was the first day, um, and I'd never formally done Shakespeare, so I was yeah. But you know, I was just comfortable letting the words speak for themselves because they do. If you're present and you're able to deliver the language, uh, it, that's a lot of the work right there. Right. Even British people say that. Yeah. And Penn did it so beautifully, there were more takes than we knew what to do with in the editing room. That's yeah, look at that. There you go. Yeah. Um, let's talk about Dakota Johnson, because everyone is. Lover. <laughs> she plays Imogen. Uh, in fact, we can show the clip of uh, Dakota. Diseased ventures and such boiled stuff as might well poison, poison. Be revenged? Or she that bore you was no queen, and you recoil from your great stock? <laughs> revenged? How should I be revenged? If this be true, how should I be revenged? I dedicate myself to your sweet pleasure more noble than that renegade from your bed and will continue fast to your affection still close as sure let me my service tender on your lips I do condemn mine ears that hath attended thee so long. Pisanio. The king, my father, shall be made acquainted of thy assault, and if he shall think it fit a saucy stranger in his court to expound his beastly mind to us, then he hath a court he little cares for, and a daughter who he not respects at all. Give me your pardon. I. I spoke this to know if your affiance were deeply rooted and shall make your lord that which he is new or. <laughs> he is one of the truest mannered. He, <laughs> such a holy witch as might enchant societies into him. Half all men's hearts are his. He sits among men like a descended god. <laughs> he hath a, a, a kind of honor about him. Sets him off. More than a mortal, seeming. So that's some juicy villainy from uh, Ethan Hawke there. But we're talking about Dakota, so can you yeah, tell let's us? let's get back to Dakota. Let's get back to Dakota. Um, you cast her before the whole Fifty Shades of Grey hoo-ha, correct? It called hoo ha. Yeah. <laughs> um, yes, it's true. Yeah, she was she was cast while we were working. I think she was cast a week before we started shooting. Really? She brought that news to the first day. Yeah. Huh. Maybe maybe you're right. I can't remember. We shot this a while ago, and in fact, they've delayed the release because they like her so much and expect all her fans to yeah, come right, trickling right. down to our movie. But but she was um, when I first met her, I said I couldn't cast her. She wasn't well enough known, and I liked. Then we relaxed and had a good conversation. And, in, and I was impressed enough with her to tell the producers that she was the person I'd like to hire, even though I knew I couldn't. Um, and then things shifted around. 
and they relented and they thought it was a fine idea. But yeah, she was cast in Fifty Shades after this. So kind of a coup for you. But she's not naked in this, or perhaps we should say she is naked in this. She is. <laughs> I shouldn't say that. No, she she's, she's, um, she's emotionally naked. There you go. Okay, she's, a, she's a princess. She's Hollywood royalty, and she seemed right. You know, her, her grandmother She's playing a princess. Tippi Hedren. She grew up among lions. She felt like the right person for the job. And she, she's a wonderful actress. She's, I should have just said that. For, I'd seen her work, you know, and her agent was interested in us meeting. And then I, I, it's kind of weird to remember it now, but I had to be blunt and apologetic and say, I can't hire you. But it turned out I could. Good. Um, do we have questions from the audience? Um, Hi, Michael. Um, there's a great tradition of updating Shakespeare in film and like lots of weird and fun choices you have to make about adapting the language. Um, one of my favorites is in Romeo and Juliet when they made the swords and daggers into like pistol nine millimeter. I'm curious, what are some, do you have favorites from other films of, of those kinds of small things and how did you think about those kinds of adaptations as you did yours? That's such a good question. I'm not sure how to answer it. I've, I've loved a lot of Shakespeare movies. Oddly enough, there aren't that many that update Shakespeare. It's more of a tradition common to the stage. I think people are more afraid of it in movies, even though Orson Welles wanted to do it. He never did. All of his Shakespeare movies are set in the past. He did, he did a famous production of Julius Caesar in the present. Um, and he did a famous voodoo Macbeth. But to get back to your question, I'm not sure. I think, I think Baz Luhrmann did something really triumphant where he made Shakespeare more accessible than anyone dreamed possible. And part of how he did it was to put in a lot of great music. Um, and he had the right cast. But I, I think it's a trick. I wish he would do more Shakespeare because I think he's suited for it. It takes a, a kind of imagination, a, an embrace of dramatic heightened reality and kind of comic book mythic reality. And I think the tone is tricky. So I hope you guys see this movie because I tried to do that. But I also am sort of more, maybe more serious than I should be. And I think Baz Luhrmann's got the, a different energy, a really a key factor to that. But do you, do you have any favorites for modern day updating? Can you answer your own question? Um, I think uh, Claire Danes's reading of Shakespeare in, in Romeo and Juliet uh, just is beautiful, and that's one of my favorite things. But yeah, the sort of tacky over-the-topness, I think, is amazing. Yeah, it worked. It I liked, worked. They I nailed like, that one. I like the Joss Whedon, the recent Much right. Ado About Nothing. Yeah, um, I mean, I love the Branner version of that play, because it was just so full of joy and exuberance. Um, and the Italian sunlight. The Italian, it was just gorgeous. Yeah. But I'm probably showing my age. I like the Joss Whedon one, too. But that's a great play, and like you said, it's more of a light-hearted comedy. Um, maybe a little easier to bring a lot of levity to it. I think it's, it's hard to do comedy in Shakespeare now to, to make that translate. It might be harder than tragedy. I love the way you set this though in this sort of industrial wasteland America, you know, very... It's just uh, Brooklyn. It's just a deep in Brooklyn. <laughs> no, really? <laughs> no, you shot it... No, I, was, I wanted to shoot in Scranton, but we couldn't afford Scranton. It was the Rockaways, right? Yeah. We, that, that, that road where Penn was wandering around with a gun was near Coney Island, yeah. Wow, it, it, look, it looks bombed out. I mean, it, it was it post does. Sandy, you know. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So you took something terrible and turned we it had into some something help good. From yeah, nothing, yeah. No location was more than 20 minutes from my home, but the places do on camera, especially, look bombed out. It's really yeah. intense. But it's, yeah. you know, it's just Brooklyn. I actually thought it was more sort of upstate New York, you know. In we some went to a quarry. That was our one-day trip. <coughs> yeah. But I, 
Yeah, you were there too. Sure. But I had a good look. Do we have um, any you. more questions? Uh, given the opaqueness of a lot of Shakespeare's uh, dialogue and the, the, the challenges that are involved, Coriolanus is a good example of, of, of a film that I think relates to this one. Uh -huh. um, how do you guys rehearse it? I mean, do you rehearse it on, like at one level, uh, just reading out the words, and then, and then do you have a, a, a discussion about it? I mean, and how? And I so this is for both of you. How you guys as the actors and how you as the director interacted with them in terms of getting to the point where it went from Shakespeare to something that lived within the environment of this movie? Well, there, were <laughs> there was no rehearsal. We, uh, we, we rehearsed on the day. I mean, that's, that's a function of many things. But I think, it served, I think it served it because we were all... It's like an athletic event. It's do or die, sink or swim. Yes, we just Save had to rely on our natural... But, but that's ability. not to say we talked about it. And if anyone had much. questions or didn't understand a point either psychologically or linguistically, we would talk about it. And every, almost everyone had a coach, had a kind of rigorous rehearsal f within their own, you know. Yeah, you, you, have, you, have your own, you have your own process, coming to terms with the material and the language, which is really fruitful to, be, to do on your own as an actor, very much. But, uh, but then, you know, there, if it were a play, there would be weeks of rehearsal and months of a run, so you know you're exploring it constantly. Whereas, but the nature of film is different. You know, you stumble into you stumble into a beautiful understanding for about a minute and a half, and that's a take. You know, and then and then you got it, and then you try it again, and, and it's not as good, and so you move on. <laughs> you know, that's, that's an eloquent way to put it. Yeah. yeah. But when you say it's opaque, I don't think Shakespeare's language is opaque. It's just it's archaic, and you know we have to do some homework to figure out some of the language, but it's also incredibly emotional and there's a rhythm and there's a, a physicality to the language that feels emotional. And that I think actors tie, in, tie, tie into that very, good actors pick that up. Yeah, naturally. well, you know what, it's interesting because I was thinking it, it's, it is opaque and then it's not. It really depends on the way you're approaching it at any, at any given moment. And I think, I think your relationship to Shakespeare's language changes. It, it really does because the words are, they might mean, they don't mean something different every time you read them, but, they're, but, but they might grab you in a different way. They have a visceral sense. And, and I think it gets, more, it gets more profound with each oh, reading. You yeah. just keep, keep digging deeper. Again, it's it. like the only people who do this, you, you know, you do this with like ancient Sufi poetry, like Rumi, or you do it with like the Quran or something. You don't do it with just like authors, but you do it with Shakespeare. And so, you know, the more, the more, the more you go there, the more you find. Have you done acting? Were you trained as an actor? No. No, um, <laughs> no do, moving on. No, no. Nothing terrifies me more. I have those nightmares about being on stage and not knowing my lines. I'm not for me. You know, I had one of those for the first time very a recently. A dream? Or I you actually were on stage and no you didn't know your lines? No dreams in my whole life. No, I have oh. a dream where I, where I, had, it's horrible. I had no lines and I was like, ah. Yeah. Um, Michael, just quickly, when can we see your next film, Experiment? I'm very much looking forward to that. I did another film, by the way, and it's called Experimenter. It's nice to plug a film that isn't ready to be seen yet. Well, you'll come back and plug um, it when, yeah, when it comes sure. out, but I just I, I hope to in the fall. There's the a fall. kind of courtship dance being done with distributors. It was at Sundance, and it's a biopic about a guy named Stanley Milgram who did experiments about behavior and um, obedience to authority, specifically. And Peter Sarsgaard plays him. So that's, I hope, in the fall. Yeah. yeah. Well, until that comes out, until you're back to tell us about that, 
Uh, we can enjoy Cymbeline, which opens tomorrow, I believe. It's at so the Quad, if you've ever been there. It's, opens at the Quad. It's about quad. the size of this stage. Yeah, but it's a great place to see films. It's a true New York institution, says the English person. Yeah. <laughs> um, thank you all for coming. Thanks a lot. Tell your friends. Go see Cymbeline. Thanks.